Hey there, it's the Weather Channel podcast. I'm Ari Sarsilari, your host, a meteorologist here at the Weather Channel. And uh, today we're going to talk about kind of a serious subject that's been uh, really in the forefront in the media and in a lot of people's minds over the last several years, these uh, hot car deaths, people accidentally leaving their young children in cars in the middle of the summer and it gets really hot inside the car and uh, in many cases the child uh, either gets seriously injured or dies and you know you've probably heard of some of these court cases that have been going on where people are getting tried and convicted or you know whatever the case is anyway I'm here with uh, a buddy of mine I was actually on a panel that you asked me to be on last year at the National Weather Association conference. This is Castle Williams, by the way. He's a uh, PhD student in geography, University of Georgia. Um, he's also done some meteorology stuff. What did you have an emphasis in meteorology? I think. Yeah, so I have a bachelor's in geography as well. But uh, we at UGA we have what we call the certificate program, or what we used to have is a certificate program in meteorology. But now they have the full fed, full fledged uh, major. But I was back in the day when we just had the uh, certificate. But it meets all the requirements of the like the NWS kind of certificate stuff. And I also have a bachelor's in psychology as well. So I can kind of interweave that social science. Stuff. Okay. So I think that's probably, you know, I, I read through some of the study uh, today and it's yeah. very clear that you guys, you know, not only attack this from a scientific standpoint, but also from kind of a social science standpoint, the psychology kind of standpoint. So you know, obviously we've had a problem with hot car deaths. How long has this been going on in general? Because it, it seems like you know, we've only started to hear about it a lot in the last couple of years. It seems like every time one of these happens, it's out in the media as a big story. If you, there's like a really great resource called noheatstroke.org, and that's a friend of ours, Jan Knoll. He actually keeps track of all the hot car deaths, so he has like uh, an extensive list, and he actually dates back to 1998. Um, so he was able to find cases in newspapers that go back that far, but I'm sure that these have gone on for as long as probably uh, automobiles have been um, kind of in use, I would think. A lot of the people have been looking at them since kind of the 1998 kind of area. Okay, yeah, and that makes sense. That seems like it's kind of when we started to hear about this stuff, and even more so over the last couple of years. So, you know, for me, Castle, like I have a one-year-old mm -hmm. right now. I have yeah. been in a lot of situations where I'm really busy and I'm running a lot of errands and I've got the kiddo in the back. And, you know, nowadays, maybe maybe something that just kind of popped into my mind that maybe why this has come to the forefront a little bit more is because it's only at least relatively recently that, you know, we've started putting the car seats in the back seat. They're back facing. You know, not everybody right. has the mirror where you're seeing the kid all the time. It makes it kind of easy to just kind of get caught up in other stuff. Now, I... I can't say personally, and I would admit it if I if I'd ever run into a situation like this. But I don't think I've ever, you know, forgotten that the kid is in the back, or even had just a brief moment. But I I guess I could kind of see how good people could get caught in these situations, right? What what was the goal of the study, and what did you you know just kind of take me through it a little bit? Yeah, sure. So as you kind of mentioned, we do kind of come at it from kind of this unique perspective because when we were doing kind of a background on it, because my advisor, Dr. Andrew Grunstein, has done a lot of work on this in the realm of physical science, like seeing how quickly a car heats up, um, trying to examine kind of the microclimate aspects of a car and what that means. Um, but what we really were not seeing in the literature was how we could better improve the messaging or uh, kind of coming at it from like a psychological approach about like why are people forgetting children in hot cars. So I think that was really our goal behind the study was to kind of meet and kind of accomplish this from like an interdisciplinary perspective, because I think the the 
the, the best accomplishments are really going to kind of take place at that intersection of public health, psychology, risk communication, meteorology, because alone we can't really come together in order to figure out all the best kind of avenues for seeing this. So I think it was kind of that was really the culmination for the study was to figure out how can we apply all these different frameworks that are used by other disciplines and kind of come at this really applied problem. So how did like how did you guys go about the process and what did you end up finding eventually? Yeah, so this was actually my master's thesis uh, work, um, and I was taking a risk communication class at the time, and I came across this uh, theoretical model called a mental model, and that was really kind of the the driver of the project, really. So when you think about a mental model, the best way that I usually explain it to people is, you know how when you walk into a fast food restaurant, you kind of know what you're supposed to do. Yep. You're supposed to like walk up to the counter and like order. And then a little bit later you get your food and you can either sit down or you can leave. That's kind of like a common construct in your head. You know, like that's what's going to happen when you walk into a fast food place. Some are a little bit different, so um, it'll tweak here and there. But uh, for the most part, that's like what you expect. And so the way that you think about when you think about mental model and risk communication, it's like, what do people know or what do they expect when they hear about a certain topic? And so when you think about children being forgotten in hot cars, that's what we really wanted to find out was how are parents kind of reacting to this topic? Uh, it's kind of one of those things that's kind of hard to approach because it is so sensitive. Um, and I think that is also what makes it kind of difficult to think about it from a risk communication perspective, because some people just kind of shut down um, when they think about the topic, because it, it's really hard to like picture yourself in that position and take steps in order to prevent that. So that was like our kind of the emphasis behind kind of the mental model uh, approach to the risk communication thing. But when we actually started getting into the interview, so we interviewed people, um, parents and caregivers to see whether their kind of ideas and thoughts and intentions kind of differed from experts who were the ones creating some of this risk communication messaging. And that's like a, a huge kind of aspect of those mental model studies is seeing where the, dis the discrepancies lies or where the differences are between these two kind of groups. So that was kind of uh, another big uh, point that we wanted to accomplish. But when we started really getting into these interviews with parents, we were seeing some of the big themes that we've seen or we've heard in the past, like, oh, uh, like lots of denial and people thinking that this can't happen to them. But then there are also people who like, completely like admitted to me in confidence that they have forgotten their child in a car for like three hours and they were really concerned that uh something terrible had happened and it's helped them it's like changed how they think about the problem I so can, it was like a huge I, go I, ahead. I, I can totally um understand that you know what i mean i've had a couple times with with my daughter yeah. where you know, for instance, there was one time when she had just become mobile, you know, she's only one. So, um, you mm -hmm. know, she had just started crawling. It was like a couple months ago. And, you know, I had to go get a onesie from downstairs or something. And I put her on the floor and I figured, yeah, oh, she's really far away from the stairs. Like, there's no way she could make it. I like rushed downstairs and I come back up. And as soon as I got back, she was like <laughs> hands over the stairs about to go down. And I did one yeah. of these like, you know, the dad reflex where you jump across the room and do like Olympic mm -hmm. level long jump. 
to catch this kid, and I got a big bruise on my knee from it and everything. But, you know, it's one of those moments from that point forward, I'm yeah. not, you know, I learned my lesson there. You know, obviously, it's just, it's a moment of panic. Like, it's hard to describe if, if, if you're not a parent. It's like something you have to feel, kind of. You get these mm-hmm. panic moments where... Um, you realize, oh, no, I screwed up. You know, I screwed up here. What have I done? Like, you give the kid, like, a a little piece of something to eat that's a little bit bigger than what you'd been giving her, and all of a sudden she starts Mm -hmm. coughing. Now, it's a normal cough, you know, and it's okay. Like, she just got a little something in her throat, and she's going to be fine. But that, that moment of panic is a real thing. I cannot even imagine what it must be like when... You're sitting around and you realize, oh my God, I just left the I just left the kid in the car for three hours. Holy moly! Like, right. it's crazy. And I think that's kind of a big issue here is because those, like as humans, those are learning experiences. Like we we learn from those mistakes that we made. And unfortunately, in this case, when a mistake is made, it's often fatal, and it's hard to learn from that. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, do you think, you know, do you think this really does have a lot to do with? And the more and more I think about it, it is starting to get annoying because we, what we've done is we've put the um, the car seat in the back, and there's been some research out that it says it's yeah. best to be in the middle, not even on the side. Mm. You know what I mean? So the, mm-hmm. you know, when you put the little shade up on there, so she doesn't get, uh, you know, blasted by the yep. sun and all that stuff. You can even open the back door of the car and not even notice that the kid is in there, you know? Um, I don't know. Mm -hmm. How much of a role do you think that plays in all this? Yeah, I think that is, um, and there are several different kind of people who examine this from a vehicular standpoint. Like there are certain organizations like Kids in Cars and stuff like that who really focus on the vehicle aspects of this. Um, and that is part of their kind of identity is that when those laws changed, this is when it really became kind of this big problem is that they were kind of out of sight um, in the back seat. And so I think that's kind of some of the origins of this problem. So, yeah, I think that's part of it. So you guys did all these interviews with a bunch of parents. Some of Mm -hmm. them admitted to you in confidence, like, hey, dude, I've I've done it before. I've left my kid there for a couple hours. Like, he was okay, but it scared the crap out of me, and I'm not going to do that anymore. And then you've talked to people that are like, no, I've never even... I've never even forgot about them ever. And honestly, I'm one of those people. And I would totally admit to you right here if I if I had forgotten about them. And I might at some point, you know, I would imagine not after yeah. doing a podcast about human. this. Right. But, um, you know, so you do all those interviews. And what do you find from all these interviews? What do you do with all that data? Yeah. So I think the biggest thing is there were more overwhelming opinions that this could not happen to them. And they even want to step further to say, like, people don't forget they intentionally leave children in cars. There are and I cases think that's like kind that, of, you know, I mean, there of course, are, yeah. you've seen some of these court cases. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's kind of another big hurdle that we kind of go through with this problem is there are three different types of hazards within like one kind of problem. So the first being those that are intentionally left, which is actually the least number of cases. Then you have those where children are playing in the car and they, accidentally lock themselves in i didn't even think of that those are yeah it's what we call self-entrapment cases so they either get stuck in the trunk they're playing in the trunk or they're playing in the car and they accidentally lock themselves in and then they can't get out and then uh, the third type is those that are forgotten and that's actually the most number of cases it's over 50 percent of the reported cases are forgotten they did not uh they didn't really understand that they that they left the child in the car so you've got i think that's one big hurdle for that no, go ahead. No, I was going to say so you've got that so you've got that data set there, you know, the amount yeah. of people that are, you know, intentionally or unintentionally or whatever mm-hmm. all that stuff is. Um and then what do you do 
with all of that information um, as you go further in the study? Because yeah. you said the goal is to try to find, you know, if we can find a way to either better educate people or just kind of get people to not do this anymore. Obviously, that's a goal. Yeah, so what we ended up doing with our interview data set was, was we actually um, compared what we got, the information that we got out of parents to that of experts so that we could see where are some of the discrepancies, where do maybe we need to tweak our messaging a bit so that we're kind of informing parents um, about things that the experts feel that they already know um, when in fact they don't. Who are the experts? Um, and so they're... Oh, so the experts that we interviewed were, uh, one was a meteorologist, so Jan Knoll was um, one of them, uh, the, the guy that I mentioned earlier that has, that keeps track of all the cases. Sure. Um, we actually interviewed a psychologist who has been uh, pretty prevalent in the news recently, Dr. Diamond. Um, he does a lot of stuff on what he's termed forgotten baby syndrome. Um, and then we interviewed a bunch of people who kind of run some of these uh organizations like Ray Ray's Pledge, um, which seeks to try and figure out how um, we can better incorporate daycares into the forgotten, forgetting children in hot cars so that they can send reminders to parents if they didn't drop their child off um, and that kind of stuff. But then we also interviewed people from Kids in Cars um, and a bunch of different uh, organizations that kind of center around this so issue. So those are the experts. So you take your data against the uh, data of the experts and were there noticeable yeah. discrepancies? There were. Um, so three big things. One I already mentioned was that a lot of people uh, didn't see themselves doing this, which is something that we kind of already anticipated, but we didn't really have empirical evidence for. So that's kind of a big thing from this data set. The second big takeaway was this idea that there are certain lifestyle factors that put particular parents at risk. Um, and so this was uh, specifically in the parents. We saw that they thought low income parents or single parents or parents that worked, they thought that those individuals were more at risk of forgetting a child in a hot car when in fact this can happen to anyone. And there's no way that we can link any of those like social economic factors to anyone. Um, wow, that that's actually kind something? of uh, kind of interesting because you're basically saying that yeah. all the experts thought that oh, this is a, like a low income kind of thing, but what you found is that that actually has nothing to do with it. No, the experts don't think that the parents do. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, I got you. Yeah. So the experts are trying to kind of convey that this can happen to anyone. Um, everyone's at risk for this to happen. Uh, like forgetting a child in a hot car does not differentiate by race or gender or anything like that. Um, but the parents really aren't getting that message. Um, they really feel like there are certain lifestyle factors that kind of allow them to distance themselves from this risk. Um, so they're saying, oh, I'm, I'm in a relationship. So I, that doesn't pertain to me. That problem doesn't like, it doesn't concern me. So how does that all kind of transfer over into um, you know, real action is it, is it that so basically you're thinking, hey, we got these rich people. There, people are like, hey, I'm rich. I'm in a um, I'm in a relationship. Um, yeah, you know, what I'm white or whatever it is, and they're saying I, I'm I'm safe, but in actuality, it doesn't matter any of that. So how do you get this? How do you get this message out to people? I mean, was this part of the study as well toward the end? Yeah. So another big takeaway that we kind of got from this was the experts and the parents aren't really connecting in kind of the medium with which they're sending out the message. So experts really consider public service announcements to be like this 
extreme, like dominant way of talking to parents and parents aren't really, they did not even consider public service announcements a thing. Like they didn't say that they've seen them. They don't know what they mean. They don't know. They hadn't heard of them at all. And so it really seemed like the experts were putting a lot of their eggs into that basket when it wasn't really translating well to parents. So parents kind of thought that they would be more receptive to like YouTube videos and social media and like TV spots and that kind of stuff. Um, So I think that's kind of one big way that we can change things in the future is kind of making sure that we're matching up on the mediums that we're best communicating with. Um, because when, throughout the study, we saw that the way that the parents were really getting this information about hot car deaths was from the actual cases themselves, like these news reports about children being forgotten in hot, in hot cars. And at that point, it's kind of uh, moot to say like, oh, here's what you can do to prevent this from happening to you. Um, it's just kind of an awkward time to offer injury prevention information when you're kind of talking about the death of another child. If you um, if you would have interviewed me for this study, I would have told you all that exact same stuff. I mean, really and truly, yeah. because I I don't I feel like even when I just hear the letters PSA, I'm thinking back yeah. to a commercial on TV in the '90s. You know, like that's yeah. the, I feel like that's literally the last time I've actually seen a PSA. Like I would be open to seeing one. It's just I don't watch TV, so I wouldn't see one on TV anywhere. And you know, it would have to be some kind of like one of these paid spots that shows up in your Facebook feed or something. But then even yep. then, whenever I see it's a paid spot, I'm scrolling past yeah. it anyway. Um, you know, it would have to be something maybe that goes a little viral on Twitter, or, you know, something like that. I'm just yep. trying to rack my brain, but yeah, man, it's like. Uh, uh, it's just it's it, things have changed so much and like trying to keep up with these mediums like so what what would be some ideas like what are ways to get PSAs out there? So some of the kind of things that I kind of offered in my uh, manuscript was I was trying to think about some of the kind of applications that other uh, health health kind of topics and have kind of implemented into their own messaging to make them more viral and more approachable. Um, and one that really comes to mind is this incorporation of what the literature calls narrative communication, um, which is basically just storytelling um, in such a way that really kind of brings people in so that they identify with the characters um, and they really see themselves in those people and see like, oh, if, that, if, if it can happen to that person, then it can definitely happen to me. And so some of the things that I offer is instead of uh, we often well, there's some out there that that already show kind of these t- testimonials about like this has happened to people and that kind of stuff. Um, but a lot of the times we have these misperceptions about, oh, it's these low income people who don't care about their child. And that kind of misperception gets spread everywhere. Some of the ways that we can perhaps get around that is kind of emphasize that this happens to other people as well. Like uh, there was a case like two or three weeks ago where it was like a doctor or a nurse practitioner who accidentally left their child in a hot car. And so they know like the health risks and the health concerns about this because they deal with it in their daily lives, yet it still happened to them. Yeah, I'm still trying to think just how to get stuff in front of people's faces, though. You know, it was so easy back in the day because everybody was watching TV. If, you know, whatever it was, if it was the Bulls in the NBA Finals, you knew that everybody was going to be watching NBC or whatever it was Mm -hmm. on at this time, and you could get a PSA on there, and you would know that everybody's going to see it. You know, nowadays, I've seen a lot of different approaches, you know, recently, and you've probably seen this because you're within the meteorological community, but, you know, the Weather Service did this thing where they had a guy with a guitar, and he was singing about Turn Around, Don't Drown. Yeah. 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 I 
love the idea. It's a fantastic idea. I like the idea of kind of being cute with it and, you know, trying to make it a little funny and all this kind of stuff. I, I do like that. But at the end of the day, what happened with that? It basically got shared all around the meteorological community, a bunch of meteorologists showing each other like, yeah. oh, wow, look how f- funny this is. And now did, what? <laughs> did, any, did anybody who needs to see it see it? I don't know. But it's so hard to get stuff yeah. out to people in these mediums. So Yeah, so there's there's been some attempts at making this kind of topic more viral through YouTube videos of having kind of adults go through this uh, process of sitting in a hot car just to really show kind of the detrimental effects that happen. And I think those have been relatively successful. Nothing, I would say, like too great. But there's another idea that I kind of throw out in my paper about this idea of is called just-in-time messaging, which is basically an idea taken from journalism. What happens is on social media or different mediums, you send out uh, a message just prior to kind of the potential for an injury. Uh, so an injury prevention moment in time just before it actually happens. And so I kind of offer this kind of perspective of when we're expecting extreme temperatures, if we kind of connect and start uh, sending out those messages about hot car deaths and different steps you can take in order to prevent this from actually happening. I think if we can connect those in such a way that whenever it gets hot, people might start uh, kind of making those connections between the recommendations and um, preventing it. If you are a parent out there and you're looking for things to do, even if you don't think this can happen to you, the thing that I always say is start a routine, start routinely checking the back seat, even if nothing's back there, it doesn't hurt. And a lot of people suggest that you can put like a purse or your wallet or your phone, especially in Georgia now with our new phone law. Oh, that's a good um, idea. If you want to put, put the phone in the back seat, yeah, it'll keep you from uh, looking at the phone, but it'll also make you go back there and uh, check. So I think just leaving some sort of object in the back seat really makes you get into the routine of going back there to retrieve that object, even if um, your child isn't back there. We're creatures of habit, right? Have started using these window clings, so it has like a a message on it in front of your like in front of your driver window that says like check the back seat. Um, and some people say leaving a stuffed animal in the front seat as well when the child is in the back seat of the car or bringing one of their toys up there. So I think that as long as you're doing something and starting that routine. It'll be extremely helpful. I like that idea. And I was actually just thinking myself in my head. So I drive a 2004 Honda Accord. That's right. I drive a Dodge Stratus, ladies. Um, (laughs) (laughs) No, because I just, I refuse to have a car payment. So when my last car died, I just went out and paid like, you know, 3000 in cash for the thing. I saved up for a little bit. And I was like, all right, I'm just going to walk in and just like buy this thing in cash. And that's going to be that. It's manual transmission. It had 200,000 miles on it. Oh, wow. Yeah, man. I know. Atlanta traffic. I'm kind of regretting that decision, but it's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Almost every time I get out of this car, it reminds me that I've left my headlights on, you know? Mm, I mean, mm -hmm, really and truly, mm -hmm. and very often I do forget that I had the headlights on, you know, because the the cars in the current day, they just will automatically turn them off. Everything's automatic. Now, what about if there was some kind of thing, and I'm just brainstorming here off the top of my head, where it's got a sensor in the back seat where it knows where the weight is there when the kid is in the car. And when you get out of the car, regardless of whether you remember the kid or not, because obviously, you know, in in the vast majority of cases, it's going to be somebody that knows their kid is back there. Just a little, Mm -hmm. you know, a little voice up top. Hey, don't forget about your kid. Or the same thing with the lights. Ding, ding, ding. You know, like that kind of thing. I I don't know. Um, So so you're on the right track. It already exists. 
Dang it! Um, I was gonna get rich. Off a this lot idea. of cars already have them. Start have already started implementing them. Um, the only problem, which is, uh, well, first is it'll take like twenty or thirty years for the, it to be like a protocol for all cars to have it. Sure. Um, so it's hard. It's hard to like rely on that as like a way uh, to prevent this right now. Um, and secondly, some people are reporting that when they put other things in the back seat, um, it sets the sensor off, and so they have started ignoring when it actually tells them that there's stuff something back they there. have the sensor um, idea done and everything too oh yeah man yeah, dang yeah. it well Sorry. anyway that's okay <laughs> so yeah um, so it looks like it's going to be a while before they could implement that even if they did huh yeah yeah that's okay. luckily there there are some other devices that are that kind of stand alone um that you can purchase um that help remind that your child is in the back seat um, but a lot of people that I actually found this in my study, a lot of people were not interested in purchasing those because they felt like they would be too difficult to kind of set up and handle. Um, and also just that ex- that extra purchase is just something that people are not willing to make. But one interesting thing that I did find is that people were interested in it being kind of a built in feature on their car seats. Um, so that might be a possible solution for the future because they're saying, I remember asking this one person, like if you had had the choice of buying like a car seat and this device and they're like, I would be willing to pay like an extra hundred dollars if that device was already built into my car seat. So they're really wanting this like kind of like all in one kind of feature. Yeah. And that's so interesting that you say that, that people were worried that it was going to be oh too much setup and all this kind of stuff. Let me tell yeah. you, if you've set up a car seat itself, <laughs> okay. I mean, it was yeah. a couple of days. I remember when Jen was, I don't know, you know, when do you get the car seat? When she's like seven months pregnant, just in case the baby comes early, you got to put the car seat mm-hmm. in. I mean, I'm not much of a handyman to begin with, and I was it was a struggle. The struggle was real, dude. I was back there like <laughs> it was like a couple days straight. <laughs> yeah, they're hard. And I mean the the instruction manuals for these things are just so long. And I'm sitting here thinking to myself, this is 2018. Like this is crazy. Like we can't or I think it was 2017 at the time. So I guess that's understandable. No, but I mean it's like the mod it's like the modern <laughs> era. I can't believe how difficult yeah. these things are to put in. And I don't know, it just seems weird to me that the idea that somebody could go through all the trouble to put in one of these uh, car seats and then they'd be like, oh, you know, the sensor, which is probably way easier. That would be that would be too much. <laughs> so, yeah, go on about um, so some of these solutions that you've kind of brainstormed. Mm-hmm. Were, were there any specific ones that you that the study directly led you to? No, there weren't any directly. Um, well, I guess one in particular was that uh, we need to work on making this seem more personable and more like person oriented. Um, So really reorienting the vulnerability to make it very personal. And so one of the recommendations that I make in kind of uh, in my paper is we right now we say this a lot as this can happen to anyone. That's like the key message to take away. And I kind of want to flip the script a bit and say this can happen to you. Because when we say that anyone, it still distances ourselves because it's hard to say, like, I'm an anyone. Um, So I think if we kind of reorient ourselves to saying this can happen to you, it really puts the focus on the individual hearing the message. I also like really like the idea of somebody that's been through it. Um, Yeah. You know, somebody that's gone through the tragedy and having it be just, you know, a regular person. It's just, you know, you yeah. can see the sadness in their eyes. Just like, dude, I, I really didn't think I was capable of this. I didn't think it was possible. But, you know, I just had one of these busy days. Just don't do what I did, you know, like that kind of thing. And and I think this goes for everything. You were talking about this earlier, too. Storytelling, 
making connections with yeah. people. This is this is something that's never going to go away. You know what I mean? No, no matter how much mm-hmm. the mediums change, whether it's internet or whatever, you know, we'll be looking back at the internet like it was, you know, a tube TV probably in 15 <laughs> years from now and whatever the new thing is. But people always want to connect with other people. It's just a matter of getting the information out in front of their face. I guess we've kind of, uh, you know, hit on all those uh, topics. Is there anything yeah. else in the study that was really important that you guys came across? Well, I think just building off the point you just made, um, also close call stories are really important too, because yes. They kind of build this positive aspect to the problem. Um, so this something terrible could have happened, but I came back in time and found the person. And that doesn't make it awkward to have these uh, these injury prevention kind of tips thrown into that kind of story because it's like this is what you can do. So this doesn't happen to you versus when like a child passes away. It can be kind of awkward to make that transition to like you can be better than that person, you know, so it's 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 kind of a weird transition. But those close call studies really put kind of a positive spin on the the new story. Okay, Castle, this has been great. I know you've got your own podcast. Can you plug that real quick? Sure. So um, we have our own podcast, myself and Min Fon. Um, it's called Weather Hype, and we talk about uh, weather and society. So a lot of social science and weather communication aspects of weather um, and what that means. So you can find us on any podcasting app. Okay. Castle, this has been a lot of fun uh, talking to you about your research. Obviously, it's a really serious subject. And we'll catch you next time, man. I appreciate the time. Have a good one. Sounds good. Thanks. Thanks.